What's going on? Welcome to another Mike Janella Show. Mike here, and this week we have a championship guest, and by that I mean he has guided the Hickory Crawdads, single-A South Atlantic League affiliate of the Texas Rangers, to uh, the Sally League title this year. That's minor league baseball. We're talking about it, and we're talking about it with a former boss of mine and the GM, the general manager of that championship team, Mark Seaman. Mark, how's it going? Mike, it's going great. It's good to hear from you. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. How does it feel to get introduced as a uh, South Atlantic League champion? You guys are fresh off that championship series win, uh, what, like two days ago, the time we're talking right now? Yeah, it wasn't too long ago at all. We uh, clinched it on uh, Thursday, um, just last Thursday, so it wasn't, wasn't too long ago at all. It, it feels really good. It, i got to admit, it feels really good to have that championship. Uh, it was a good sweep over Asheville, and uh, it, it was a lot of fun. All those, uh, the long summer days, the double headers, the pulling tarp, it's for that. That one celebration makes it all worth it, would you say? It does. It makes it all worth it when you get that trophy. Um, I actually brought the trophy home over the weekend so I could look at it all, all weekend. And it, it does. It, you know, people don't realize that players play 140 games in 152 days. It is really a grind. Of course, we're home 70 of those and doesn't, you know, count all the other things you've got going on and some certainly long days like you mentioned pulling tarp and all those other things and dealing with you know weather and just whatever things happen to pop up throughout the season and when you win that trophy you kind of forget all about that stuff and it makes it all worthwhile as you said and it's just it's just fun to do and you never know when you're going to get the opportunity that's the thing is you know you you hear it at the big league level too you know guys you know think especially if they make it in their career early and they, you know, get to a World Series or a Super Bowl or whatever, and then they never make it back again. And then you always hear them when they retire, you know, I just figured I'd be there every year. And But you just never know when it's going to come. So when it does come, you know, you got to enjoy it. We'll talk about that specific title in a second, but explain to the listeners, uh, and just to give some background, I was the play-by-play broadcaster for you for the Crawdads in 2008 that season. And so that's how we know each other. And I think we had... At the time, was it the losingest record in Crawdads history, I think, that season? So I'm sure for you this year, it's, it's a much <laughs> nicer uh, feeling to be the GM of this squad. It is. That was, that was our actually last year of the Pirates. We yep. were, had been affiliated with the Pirates for 10 years. And I say we, that is the Crawdads. Not only was that your year there, that was my first year with the Crawdads. So mm-hmm. that team was just horrible. It was, <laughs> it was bad to watch. I don't know if you remember, but the August... By the time August rolled around, people weren't even coming out. The team was so bad. They had given up. I think we, if I'm not mistaken, you may remember, I think we only won about five or six games in that whole month of August. We were just we were just bad. And uh, so it was definitely a struggle when you compare this team to that team. And really, the teams we've had the last couple of years have all been really good. But this team specifically, it's a whole lot more fun when you win. I, you know, I, it's the ballpark, especially a minor league ballpark, is fun anyways. But it's a whole lot more fun when you win. There's no doubt about it. So explain to the people, because they may not know exactly, they think general manager, and they think of usually at the at the major league level, he's the guy assembling the team, making the trades, doctoring the roster. That's not what you do. Uh, and obviously you have a, you play a huge role in a team and how they, they make their way through the season, but you're more kind of running a business, running an organization, uh, running entertainment. Explain the differences, because you are obviously involved in the day-to-day on the baseball side, but not necessarily on the team personnel makeup that kind of stuff. So break down just a, you know quickly the differences between minor league GM and major league GM. 
Well, Major League GM, you know, I think one of the names that always comes to mind just because the Yankees are so high profile of a team and he's been there for so long is Brian Cashman. So you think of Brian Cashman and just like you mentioned, signing players, signing free agents, making trades, all that kind of good stuff. And, you know, that's all player development, all those things. I guarantee you he if somebody came to him and told him that the toilet paper in the bathroom in the lower level needed to be changed, he probably wouldn't even know where to find the toilet paper. <laughs> or the bathroom so, in the lower level, probably. He has his own in the suite or in the offices. That's exactly right. You probably, probably don't even know how to get to the lower level, period. So, you know, they certainly do all that player stuff, deal with all the scouts, all those type of things, and they build those teams and put them on the playing field. On our end, we're more on the operations. We run the facility. We certainly have a working relationship, in our case now, with the Rangers. And and so there is some facilitation there, but that's really more in terms of logistics. If a, a guy needs to move, we you know make sure he gets to the airport or if he needs to get picked up from the airport, things like that. Arranging transportation, you know, hotel stays when the teams are on the road, those type of things, which probably delves a little bit more into the baseball side at the major league level. But that's probably a small part for us. That's, you know, maybe 10 or 15% of what we do, where the other 80 or 90% is really facility operations. And that is, that is knowing where the toilet paper is and knowing where the bathroom is on the, <laughs> on the lower level if you have multiple levels and knowing how to change it and those type of things, running the staff, planning the promotions, the music, you know, hiring staff, all those type of different things that just, you know, go into to running a ballpark. And it's, it's amazing until I got into it, you just don't know what does go into it. A lot of people think, and it's starting to, people are starting to realize more now, but, you know, a lot of people do realize, they think, oh, if the, you know, gates open at 6, you show up at 5.30, unlock the gates, and welcome people in. The game ends at 10. At 10.15, you lock the gates and you go home. And they just don't realize that, you know, minor league baseball folks, and I'm sure at the major league level as well, you know, you get there at 8 or 9 in the morning and, you know, you mentioned tarp earlier and you, you pull the tarp if needed and you make sure that the cleaning crews cleaned everything up and if they haven't, you you take care of it. You make sure that everything's stocked up and you get out the promotions for that night. You make sure that the scoreboard's working and everything you need and everything, your on-field promotions, all those type of things are all lined up. and um, It's just a, a full day of activity. It's like really having... You know, you know, if you have an RK70 home game, it's like having 70 events. If you put on 70 events, whether it's baseball or, you know, ice skating competitions or a circus, you know, it's a full day of activity. I love the the one thing that brought back memories, not because I was involved in it, but because uh, working with the other guys in the staff that were, it was picking up players from the airport. I remember there'd be, you know, someone coming in from Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic at, you know, 1 a.m. or something. And it's, hey, who can go to the airport <laughs> to pick up the three guys, the three shortstops or whatever we have coming in? And yeah, so people don't realize that, you know, 10 o'clock, 10, 15, that's not when it ends. Uh, you guys really are on call because the business is on call 24 hours a day. You've got stuff going on. Even when the team's away, when they're not at home, you're still doing community service events, ticket sales, sponsorship deals, all that stuff. It doesn't stop. It never does. You know, the mascot is out. I think we did. I think Conrad, our mascot, probably did somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 um, of community appearances last year. You know, Christmas phrase alone, you know, we're in small little Hickory, an hour north of Charlotte, and we were in 14 different Christmas parades in the area last year. They had, so, I mean, they all, had 14 different Christmas parades up there? It's hard to believe. You, wow. if, if there's some guy out there in the golf cart and the kids in the tricycle behind him with a, for a Christmas parade, Conrad's probably <laughs> in it. <laughs> so we're just, you know, it's all sorts of little things. Like you mentioned, picking up players. And then, you know, sometimes the challenge is, 
usually at the airport you can tell a 19-year-old kid from, you know, Venezuela or wherever. They kind of stick out. But sometimes that language barrier makes it a little tough to figure out who exactly you're supposed to be picking up and, you know, getting them to your car and all those type of things that, that kind of make it interesting. And only then do you still have the hour in the car alone with no common language from Charlotte from the airport. Uh, up that's to, uh, that's up to exactly right. That's exactly right. And you just kind of both of you staring out the window and, you know, trying to make the best of it. So, so all that being said, obviously you have some interaction with the players uh, and their involvement with the community while they're in town. Um, but a lot of it you said, there's the operation side of it and the community side of it. So when you get to win a title like this, obviously the coaching staff, any players that have been there a long part of the season, whoever's there for the actual win, they, they feel what a player feels anytime they win a title. For you as someone that's looking beyond just the diamond, what's going on between the lines, when you see that trophy, what, what feelings do you have? What role do you feel you play? What's that kind of gratification, the pride like for you as the general manager of the team? I think from our end, it's, it's from front office standpoint, I think it's more just a community pride type thing. I think it's, it's nice to bring it back to Hickory. People in Hickory love, enjoy it. They love to see it. In fact, we had a, an event out, had a season ticket holder event out at the ballpark for, uh, the other night, and which brought the trophy out, and everybody's coming up taking pictures with it, things along those lines. So the fans just really get behind it. It's just a, it's a feel-good situation. Um, and, and I do think there is, you know, certainly we don't make any trades. We don't, you know, decide who comes and goes. Or certainly, you know, I, I've talked to our manager a few times and, and asked him to make some pitching changes, but he never actually listens to me. <laughs> so, you know, we, don't, we don't have control over those types of things. But I, there is, you know, we can make their stay easier or we can make their stay tougher. And, you know, we've got a great relationship with the Rangers, and, and we'd like to think we make their stay easier, that, you know, we, we work with them as needed in terms of make, getting them a bet, the best bus available, you know, having them <clears> – <throat> having a good atmosphere in the clubhouse. We've got good facilities at the ballpark where they don't mind coming to the ballpark. You know, this little thing sometimes, even if a player's got his, you know, his girlfriend's coming to town, you know, and it, it's, she lands at 7 o'clock at night, we'll send a, an intern down to pick her up, you know, so she can get into the, get to the ballpark and he doesn't have to worry about it. It just makes it everything a little bit easier for those guys. So just trying to help them out, helping them find apartments when they get to town, helping them move furniture and helping them, you know, the guys are gone, so helping them move furniture out, all those type of things, and <clears throat> so I think that would that's what makes you feel a part of it, you know, the excitement of it, that you just have been there through, you know, the all season through the ups and downs. Who are your favorite kind of players, maybe to watch to deal with? Because you you just mentioned the whole list of things that you do for them. And sometimes you don't have to comment on this, but sometimes it's picking up one girlfriend at the airport while telling the local girlfriend to not come to the game that night uh, from some <laughs> of the stories I hear. Um, no, but, you know, we, there's so many different types of minor leaguers that make it, that pass through Hickory, through any town. There's maybe the first round bonus baby that just comes through. I know Madison Bumgarner was there with Augusta uh, in our division when I was there. Um, first round pick. Now he's a World Series MVP. You see those kind of guys. You see the guys who were pushing 30. This is their last chance. You can see the guys that are kind of journeymen coming back down. How do you see the different personalities meshing and clicking? Are there any guys that are harder to work with than others, easier? Who are your favorite kind of players to have on the team for the summer? You know, it really, whether they were, like you said, bonus babies and they're picked in the first round or whether they're free agent signers or, you know, college kid that maybe got drafted in the, you know, 20th round, 
a lot of it has to do just with the personality of the player, and there's no real absolute that, well, because, you know, he got drafted in the first round and he got a $4 million or $5 million bonus, you know, he's automatically a snob. And, and that's not really the case. It, it just really changes from player to player. And, you know, from my perspective and from the front office perspective, obviously we like the guys that are, when we needed something done in the community and we have a community parents, we like the guys that are the ones to raise their hand first. And you always have two or three of those guys in the club that it seems like, you know, if, if you do however many appearances, they seem to do 75% of them. And when they go out there, they they engage with the community and they're not like, oh, I don't want, you know, I don't want to be here. And, and the Rangers have quality individuals. So most of the guys are pretty good about, you know, when they get out there, they, they're good about things like that. I personally like to see the guys that, you know, maybe have a little bit of chip on their shoulder. Um, they know that they, they're maybe they aren't all, they're not already singled out as, Hey, this is, you know, one of our prospects. It's a guy that's maybe trying to work his way into being a prospect. Um, example, just that it's been up and down a little bit this year with the Rangers is Ryan Rua. I mean, he came, he came to our club. I'm going to say that was three years ago and he wasn't a prospect really then. He was a kid drafted in late rounds, drafted out of college and, you know, he really hustled, worked, made made himself into a player that he's had some time in the big leagues. So a guy like that that has to put a little extra effort, a little extra hustle into it are the guys you like to see. And you like to see him do well, too. Yeah, I was, that was my follow-up question. Once you sent, once you name-dropped a specific guy, do you find yourself as a fan following these guys once they make it to the bigs as alums, or is it hard for you because you're keeping up with the, the next 25 guys that are coming in? Sometimes in the season, they make wholesale changes, whatever. Uh, or Is it easy? Is it hard to say, oh, man, three years ago, that kid was our, our skinny second baseman. Now he's an all-star. Do you have any, any personal favorites from your time there that have made it big? I, I don't know if I really have any personal favorites. I mean, it's you certainly can you keep an eye on them and you certainly realize when they've made the big leagues and you don't um they don't uh none of them stick out specifically i guess they're you like you root for them all i really do there really hasn't been very many that i've said oh you know gosh i hope that guy doesn't make it you know he's a real <laughs> jerk yeah. you know you really do want them all to do well you know some of them you, you can see you know a joey gallo for instance, um, a Jerickson Profar. Those guys just have a different look about them. You kind of look at them, you're like, unless something really crazy happens, which obviously Jerickson Profar has been injured the last couple of years, you're, those are big league guys. Yeah, Gallo um, must have been hitting that Pepsi plan out past center field and batting practice, the kind of power he's got. I mean, that kid's insane. He was crushing it. Oof. He was crushing it when he was here. In fact, the year he was here, he led all minor league baseball in home runs that year. Um, so we hit... And I don't have the number in front of me, but we hit the most home runs as a team we'd ever hit. We hit like 172, I think it was that year, wow. which is about 30, 30 more than any Crawdads team had ever hit. So we had um, him and Ryan Rua. Lewis Brenson was on that team. I'm trying to think who else. We had a, um, a catcher. That's the other thing that that you feel bad in a way, but it's hard to keep the year straight sometimes. They all start rolling together after a while, and Especially because you know you you don't you don't always have a brand new team. Sometimes you get guys that repeat. Like this year, we had about twelve guys that were on the team from the beginning of the year, and then about halfway through the season, a lot of those guys moved up. So probably the guys that we got at the tail end of this year will end up getting them the back back end of next or get to get them back next year. So 
it's hard sometimes to keep straight who was here in what years, but you know, you root. And the other thing is, for me, from my standpoint, I actually become closest to the coaching staff. They're the only ones that are always there, or at least for the yeah. whole year. Yeah, exactly. And th- those are the ones I have the most interaction with. You know, right now are. Um, uh, you know, I still talk to Gary Green, who's a rover with the Pirates, who was the manager of your year. Um, Hector Ortiz was our manager in 09. He's the first base coach for the Rangers now. Um, then we had Bill Richardson for three years, and he is in the Angels system. He's in with their double-A club, which I believe is um, it's Ar- Northwest, <clears throat> Northwest Arkansas, their double-A club in the Texas League. And then Corey Ragsdale, who was our manager for the last three years, um, we'll see where he ends up, but so it's neat to kind of follow those guys too and, and follow their careers. Now, for you, this and even for these coaches, you just mentioned these guys who are you know managers of a team, and uh, these major league teams are entrusting their their young prospects with these guys, and even they're kind of bopping all around. You get to have a bit of a stable life. You've been in Hickory, like we mentioned, uh, seven years now, and you're running this well-oiled machine at this point while all this turnover is <laughs> happening. I don't know about all that. But... <laughs> I'm trying to hype you up, Mark. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that, Mike. So it leads me to think, you know, because even when I was there, um, and obviously I was only there for the one season, but within that one season, I'm seeing guys that are just, you know, their families are back in the Caribbean and they're sending their paycheck back to them or they're just living out of a hotel just trying to make ends meet. What do you what what's it like for you watching these guys? Some of them do come in with a million dollar bonus from their draft pick days. Some of them come in making whatever their their super base salary is, which minor league ball players do not make much at all unless you're a real standout. Is it tough? Do you do you sympathize for some of these guys trying to chase their dream? What's that like seeing someone kind of deal with, man, do I have to hang it up? How many more years do I have left? Am I doing the right thing? It's such a weird like human dynamic to me and you got to see this every year. Yeah, it's really interesting to see see them come in and see how the year goes and see how they they handle it emotionally. Because the one thing too is that we tend to forget is we're dealing, you know, with eighteen, nineteen, twenty year old kids. And I don't know about you, but I know I came out of college a whole different person than I went into college. So you know, there's a lot of growing that goes on during that period. And like you said, they have families. It you know wherever in Dominican or across the United States or whatever the case may be. And to see them kind of mature is neat to do. And you you really, it, it's a tough life. You, you really feel for the guys because you mentioned there's a few guys that are bonus babies, but those are really few and far between. You know, you might have one guy, maybe sometimes two guys on your team that are really what you would consider bonus babies. The rest of them, you know, some of them sign for very little. And even the ones that maybe sign for a little bit, it's not enough to, you know, it's not like they're set for life if this doesn't work out. So they're, they're grinding every day. They know that this is their career and this is, you know, this is their chance. And every day, and that's what they talk about is you got to bring it every day. You, you can't really take a day off. You never know when your day is going to be. And you, you got to bring it to the ballpark, bring 100% every day. And you, you like to see that in those guys. And you get into August and you can tell they're just tired. They're worn out. They've had 11 hour bus rides to Lakewood, New Jersey. They're shared an apartment. They're living in an apartment with five or six other guys. You know, so you, even when you're not at the ballpark, you're still with the. You're still with your teammates. You're, you know, you guys are together all the time. And a lot of people don't realize they get to the ballpark at one or two o'clock in the afternoon. They go out. They do early work. Then they take BP, take infield, come take a little bit of break. Then they go play the game. By the time they shower and get going, it's eleven or twelve o'clock at night. They go home. 
and, and then get up the next morning and start the whole process over again. A lot of times they don't have, you know, they don't have individual vehicles to get around. So they're trying to find rides. We got an apartment deal close to the ballpark. So a lot of the guys that are from Venezuela or Dominican, a lot of times if they can't find rides, they walk to the ballpark. You know, we always tell them, call us, we'll come get you. But sometimes they, they don't do that and they'll walk. And so it, it, you, you just really, you do root for them all. You can tell some of them, you know, some, especially some of those guys that, that maybe came from areas in Latin America that are, you know, not in such great shape. This is more, even though they're not making that much, like our, the minor league salary is a thousand dollars a month and that's only for the months they're playing. So they're not making a ton of money, but for some of those guys, it's a whole lot more than they can make at home. And like you said, they'll send their, send their money back home to their, to their families and they're supporting their families. So, you know, you root for all, you really, like I said before, I don't, there's never been a guy where I said, gosh, you know, that guy's a real jerk. I hope he doesn't make it. But a few guys sometimes where I thought, you know, he probably could be a little bit nicer. I'd like to see him maybe <laughs> humble a little bit, but you know, I don't, I don't want to root, you know, wish anything bad on the guy. Right. And so it, it is, it is a grind. There's no yeah. doubt about it. It all goes back to the point you were making. And I think a lot of people as you know, the internet pulls back a lot of curtains are realizing about pro sports. It's not just the two or three hours that the fan is there when the gates open. It is a 12 hour kind of thing that a lot of people don't see most of. And for these guys in particular, yeah, it starts with the gym in the morning, early work, like you said, signing autographs afterward. It's, it is a grind. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy life. And for anyone, I'm sure there's been books written and documentaries. And hopefully this podcast is a little bit of an instruction to people as well. But uh, it's such a cool part of, uh, of, the, of the sports business. I definitely recommend people kind of take a deep dive into it. Um, Mark, I want to uh, sort of pivot a little bit because you can't talk minor league baseball without talking promotions. Uh, every, <laughs> every spring it always comes out in Sports Illustrated, ESPN, you know, the, the calendar of giveaways across the minors and special theme nights and everything. And I want to talk about it a bit more generally and deeper, but let's lead off. I want to ask you, what was this uh, Labor Day Tickets for Life promotion you guys just ran a couple weeks ago? We came up with a, a promotion. Some teams have done Labor Day promotions with, you know, if, if you're pregnant, come to the ballpark, things like that. You get a free ticket. But we decided we were we used it as a dual promotion. Obviously, we were home on Labor Day, and then we were had a playoff game on the next Friday, so four days later. So we thought it'd be a good way to promote the Labor Day game and then also promote the the game on Friday, the playoff game. So we had a promotion where if you were pregnant and you came to the ballpark and you checked in before the third inning. And after the seventh inning, so we wanted to make sure you just didn't check in and leave. You had to stay for a few innings at least. And then you gave birth before the first pitch of our playoff game on that Friday, which was actually <laughs> Friday the 11th. You and your newborn got tickets for life. And we had one participant. We actually had two, but one of them checked in too late. So uh. she, she was disqualified. Um, but no sympathy, in, no sympathy, no pity for the for the mom to hey, be. Uh, you you, you got to stick by the rules, you know. <laughs> if you lay out the rules, you got to stick to them. And uh, the mom that that was a mom to be, as you say, was she was there before the third, checked out after the seventh, and she actually stayed the whole game. She was there before the game started and stayed the whole game. Gave birth. Her water broke that night. Wow. She um yeah after the game she gave birth the next morning. And so her and her son uh, have 
tickets for life to Crawdads games now. So I don't know if we're going to run that one again, but you know, <laughs> that's a walk. Somebody, that, that's uh, a walk off win. The water breaks that right is after definitely the game. A walk off win. Oh man, exactly right. No, I our, saw our, that. Talking to our manager about it, and he's he. What we're saying, you know, I can't believe that happened. Blah blah blah. And he goes, "You need to fire the guy that came up with that promotion." And I was like, "Well, I was." Part of the people that came up yeah, with that promotion. You're looking at. You're looking at him. myself. <laughs> yeah. So, but it was good. We were we were happy for, and you know, things like that. You just never know. You never know. It was a lot of fun. That is the charm, though, of minor league baseball, because you don't get that kind of stuff really anywhere else. And the fact that now she's, you know, she's part of that community. It's going to be something she's going to love, and her kids going to love for for years. And it's an awesome story, and it pops up all over the place. So uh, good on you on that one. Uh, do you feel any pressure? Because obviously a, some of these minor league teams and maybe some of the, the higher ones up the higher levels of the farm system that have a bit more money, they're doing, I don't know, Star Wars nights and, uh, you know, huge giveaways. And, and I don't know, you lose track because everything gets kind of jumbled when everyone starts copying everyone else. Do you feel any pressure to, to one up with new ideas and crazy stuff? Or do you think you know what, let those guys do that thing, and we're just going to we're just gonna stick with what works, you know, family entertainment, all that kind of stuff. Well, I think the one thing, like you mentioned, is everybody starts copying each other, and the one good thing about minor league baseball is it's not, you're not really in competition with your other minor league team because you're all in different markets. So you can borrow and steal or, or whatever ideas from other teams. So I don't know if there's ne- necessarily any pressure but you certainly want to come up with things like the Labor Day promotion that maybe are a little unique that garners a little attention for your for your team, and so I mean it's not really and, and we believe necessarily like if you just sit down and you start thinking okay we got to come up with a really good promotion you know it doesn't really happen that way it, it happens kind of off the cuff hey how about if we do this you know and, and I've found a lot of the best promotions you know come just something happens you may be out. You know, having a few adult beverages, and somebody <laughs> says this, and then somebody says that, and all of a sudden, you know, you've got the kind of the outline of a promotion, and then once you know everybody thinks about it the next morning, you make sure you're not going to offend everybody and anybody. <laughs> you make sure, you know, hey, we're, yeah, we're, we're we feel comfortable doing this, and and you see if you can put the pieces in place. And though the best ones seem to come from that way, at least for us. And obviously, I can't speak for all the teams, but you know, like one we had a few years ago, which is still one of my favorites. Is was the we did the Albert Haynesworth Challenge back when Washington signed him, and Mike Shanahan wouldn't let him uh, practice until he completed that uh, regimen. I think he was like six, 12 60 yard dashes or six of them, and then a two minute break. I don't know if you remember that, and he, he couldn't do it. He went a few days and he couldn't do it. So we did a promotion where we at post game one night. We said we were going to have to do the Albert Painsworth Challenge. If you complete it, then you're going to get season tickets for the rest of the year. It was late in the year. It wasn't that big a deal. And we had his face up on the website and um, called it the Albert Hainsworth Challenge and actually had a call from his lawyer with a <laughs> cease and desist order or he was going to sue us. Wow. So we quickly re- we quickly renamed that the Crawdads Challenge. But things like that are pretty neat. Was there ever one that obviously you had legal intervention? Was there ever a promotion that you tried to run and you guys thought, man, this is going to be gangbusters, and then it just totally fell on its face? You know, there's nothing that that like sticks out that was. You know, we certainly have done things where we thought, oh, you know, people are really going to like it, and you know, we're going to get a big crowd for it, and you know, all of a sudden nobody shows up for whatever reason. You think, oh, that just didn't 
didn't take off. There's not anything that um, that sticks out where I felt like we offended people or you know there was anything along those lines. You know, just sometimes some things work and some don't. And sometimes it's hard to figure out which is which. Yeah. And we're going to go, uh, I don't want to keep it too much longer, Mark, and we got a couple uh, little lightning round quick hitter questions for you at the end. But uh, to wrap up sort of the main portion of our conversation, I just want to ask you um, sort of about you and the career track and the path of a minor league GM. Uh, obviously, we've already talked about the differences between what major league GMs do and minor league GMs do. And the major league GM, he may work in the scouting department, then he'll go up to assistant and then try and get you know build a World Series team. What's it like in your line of work? What was kind of the ladder, the path to get you where you are now? And is it similar? You know, do you, do your colleagues, your peers, try and angle to run a AAA team someday in a big market? Do you like where you are and you settle down and that could be a job for life? What's give us a little bit of a of a climate, a finger on the pulse of what you know a career, a life is like being a minor league GM. A lot of for me, I got pretty lucky. I didn't have to move around a lot, but a lot of people do have to move around a lot. You know, in my case, I did a I did an internship with the Tennessee Smokies, or the Knoxville Smokies at that time, and then after that, they hired me full time. My first full time job, I made a whopping thirteen thousand dollars a year plus commission, and you know, I stayed there for eleven years and moved. My, when I left there, I was the assistant GM and had held various titles throughout that time. And then I actually left baseball for three years and worked for a startup NASCAR team and then got this job with the Crawdads as the GM and starting in 08, as we've mentioned. But a lot of times it's not. My path was relatively simple, you know, having only worked for two minor league teams. A lot of times, you know, kids get in as an intern, they get an internship. Like, you know, we have an intern here now. She would like to stay, but nobody's leaving, so we don't have an opening. So she's trying to get a job somewhere else. She's already had an internship she actually went and worked for an Australian baseball team, so she did an internship there. Now she's trying to get, you know, trying to get a full-time job, but may not be able to find something. She might have to do another internship. And then, you you know, you kind of just kind of pop along that way. A lot of times people jump around from team to team trying to move up the ladder because, you know, sometimes there's just not room in the organization that you're with to move up. And team, people might work for 10 or 12 different teams before they get to be a GM potentially. And I think some people don't want to be a GM. Some guys want to be, or girls want to be a director of promotions. That's more their thing. They don't necessarily want to deal with all the other stuff that goes into the management of it and, and P and L's and all those type of things that comes with the GM part of it. And I think if it, when you do get to the GM level, then a lot of times, and the assistant GM level for that matter, whether you want to stay or go or your desire, I think a lot of that's just personal preference. You know, do you want certainly a bigger market? Typically, you can make more money, but, you know, is that the, the lifestyle that you want to lead? I mean, I'm lucky enough, I only live literally two miles from the ballpark, which is a nice feature. You know, we don't have the traffic that you got to worry about. You know, do you want to live in a big city and, and deal with that traffic? And I like, personally, I like dealing with a smaller staff. You know, right now, we actually have about as large as we've ever been. We're up to 14 full-time staff members, and that's about good for me. Uh, I just like, because I think there's more interaction with myself and the staff members. You know, if you get up, for instance, to Charlotte Knights, just down the road, they have 40 staff members. And, and that's a whole nother realm. You know, you're not going to have that interaction with each individual employee that I get to have here in Hickory. Certainly, you know, it's not bad or it's not good or bad. It's just different. So I think, you know, like I said, it's just personal preference on what people want to do. And a lot of times it's just what opportunities end up presenting themselves. You know, we live in a 
if you want to work in minor league baseball, sometimes you can't be choosy. If a GM job opens up and you interview for it, it doesn't, you know, it is where it is. You don't get to say, hey, well, I don't want to work there. You know, there's only 160 GM jobs out there in minor league baseball. If you got a chance to grab one, you know, you got to get it when you can get it because you never know when, you know, you're going to get another shot at it. Yeah, pretty well said. Um, all right, let's go to a little mix and match, a little lightning round. Just going to shuffle through a bunch of quick questions here. Uh, feel free to go into as much depth as you want, but these are meant to just kind of be light and uh, and get a little bit of your of your insight. So, number one, in your time with the Crawdads, who's the best play-by-play guy you guys have had? I'm <laughs> just kidding. Oh, you, you don't got to answer Mike, that one. Mike Janela, no problem. <laughs> I mean, that's an easy one. <laughs> <laughs> What's more? We, we actually, the guys, we, we've had some, we've had some good guys here. We've got uh, our Andrew Buckbinder. We have a current guy now, but the guy before him is at AA in Springfield right now. So um, we, we've had some we had some good guys here. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a good. You guys good have done game. well for yourself. Yeah, it's we're a, trying to carry on. Blocks. Yeah, we're trying to carry on the the Hickory flag. Um, That's right. What's more a pain in the ass to organize logistics wise? A fireworks night, a double header, or a game when you got a post game concert? Uh, post game concert probably. What's the what's the worst part of your job? What's the one thing that if tomorrow someone said, you know what, you keep all your responsibilities, everything's the same, but you can change one thing or get rid of one thing that you normally do, what's the one thing you're axing? Firing people. Hmm. Does that come up often or do you because usually people think a lot of turnover, it's you know, you're moving to a different market or you want a different job. Does that happen often for you or you have to be the ones getting rid of them? It doesn't happen a whole lot. Um, you know, I probably it's probably been only three or four people here since the since I've been in here. As far as front office staff, we've had some game staff in the past we've had to let go for various reasons. But it's just never it, even though it's it's just a small number, it's still you still don't like doing it. Yeah, they stick you know, with you, especially it, it in the yeah. It does. It does. Is be honest now? Is there a part of you when you, your team's doing well and you got maybe an ace starting pitcher or a star center fielder and he's doing real well? Do you get a little a little worried that he's doing a little too well? He'll get called up and then your team loses its big star. What goes through your mind uh, when that happens? To be honest with you, not really, because you just never know. A lot of times, it's just so it's so it can be so random. You know, a, a guy could if you have a good center fielder like you mentioned, he might be killing it. But if the center fielder above you, he, if he's doing well, then there's a good you know your guy's probably not going anywhere. But if it's a game tonight, there's the other center fielder above your guy he twists his ankle or does something worse, all of a sudden your guy's gone. So you really don't, you have so little control over it, and you just, you, sometimes you're just left to the fate of the gods almost, so you really don't worry about it a whole lot. Is there... It doesn't mean, it doesn't, it doesn't mean it's not frustrating when it happens. But. Right. <laughs> <laughs> by the same token, it's got to be great when you get, you know, a guy on a rehab assignment or something coming down. That's always a nice little shot in the arm. So I think it balances out yeah. in the grand scheme. It Is, does. Is there, whether because of the market or because of the budget they have or maybe the leeway that they get from uh, ownership or anything else, is there any minor league team across the country, any level or any town that you're a bit envious of that you wish, oh man, I, I wish I had those circumstances here in Hickory? That's a really good question. I, I don't really know the answer. And the reason I don't know the answer is because I don't think you really, um, I don't think you really know what's behind the, uh, somebody else's door. You know, you don't really know the, you know, what goes on in your neighbor's house. You you, th- you see they got two BMWs and you think everything's perfect and they got a pool, but you don't know that they're, you know, a million dollars in debt. So you just don't know 
what goes on behind. You don't know what kind of involvement the ownership group is. Do they do they kind of let you run things the way you want to run run it with you know just a little bit of um, insight? And are they there to help you out? Do they support you? You know, because things don't always go right. So I mean, it's just so hard to say because it's just hard to tell on those things. Good answer. Uh, all right, last one. Give me you, you got maybe you, you don't have the best one off the top of your head, but I'm sure you have one in reserve. Give me a good a good tarp story because I think everyone in minor league baseball has at least one. I've actually got this is unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. Last year we had a kid. He was a uh, an intern on the grounds crew, and we were rolling the tarp out. So to make sure everybody is clear, what I'm saying is it was all the way up against the fence. It was on the barrel. We start rolling the tarp out. Is the kid's very first tarp pull. He's jazzed up. He's ready to go. He actually... That was his first mistake, was being excited for a tarp pull. <laughs> go that's on, exactly go, right. Go that's on. That's exactly right. And he went... And I don't even know if I can explain this accurately. He went over the top of the tarp, over the tube. <laughs> and so, as you're rolling, he goes over the top. He's laying flat down like Superman. By the time we realize what's going on, we're halfway over him. Like, literally, the tube is laying on it halfway over his body... And, you know, of course, at that point, we just keep going because there's really nothing else you can do. Oh, and man. he, so we get it, we get it past him and he comes out and his eyes, I mean, they were as big as, as saucers. It was unbelievable. He just looked, we're like, you okay? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. But in all my years of doing this, I've never seen or heard of anybody, you know, plenty of people as you're running, they trip over the mound or they slip in the dirt, but I've never seen anybody pushing it out go right over top of the barrel and have the barrel roll right over top of them. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. At least it's proof that you can survive uh, a, a tarp tromp, uh, trampling and, and live to tell That's about right. it for him. Awesome. Mark, thank you so very much. Uh, let the folks know, uh, plug any crawdad social media accounts, any websites, tickets for next season. Where can the people find out more about the good, uh, the good team you're running down there? HickoryCrawdads.com is kind of the best place. And then you can just, we've got a Facebook page, of course, um, Hickory Crawdads. And so you can either place, and we actually, if people are interested, I'm not going to tell you too much, but on uh, October 6th, we're going to be unveiling a little something. So mm. if people want to come back and check our website, right around midday on October 6th, we're going to be doing a little something. People might want to check it out. All right, you heard the tease here first. Make sure to check it out. Mark, thanks so very much. It's, uh, it was a pleasure talking to you, and best of luck in the offseason and defending that title next year. I appreciate it, Mike. It's been a pleasure catching up with you. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. Make sure to check out MikeGianella.com for more information on our theme music. Find out all the other episodes we've had of the show so far, and check me out on Twitter at MikeGianella as well. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to download, subscribe on iTunes, and we'll catch you next time when I'll do better. See ya.